Well, I told I, I I made sure he didn't invoke the name of Chuck Norris there because it's like I don't want Chuck to know anything. No, <laughs> no. I, I taught a a class in karate for homeschoolers for ten years, and uh, then my hips and knees decided you've had enough of that, so I uh, retired four years ago, five years ago. So that's not a part of my resume anymore. Well, if I sound growly this morning, it's not because I'm angry. Uh, as I recall, last time I was here, I was just on recovering from a nice bout of food poisoning, and I decided to keep the tradition going by coming up with some ailment before I got here today. Uh, so I developed laryngitis a couple days ago, so uh, my voice will probably either sound like I'm growling or I will sound like a 13-year-old uh, boy whose voice is changing, depending on the pitch of what I'm trying to say. Uh, I was going to say I, I practiced my message all week long and just used up my voice, but I, I really didn't do that. Uh, so, All right, let me give you an update. Uh, uh, for those of you that might not have been here in, in past times when I've spoken, uh, we are in Luke, have been for years, will be for probably another 20 as long as I keep coming. Uh, when I was filling in here before they called Bob, and at the same time I was filling in at our own church, I decided rather than try to come up with something different to preach each week, I would just start in Luke, and I would go through Luke, and y'all both called pastors, and so I, being stubborn, decided, well, I'm just going to stay in Luke until I finish it, and so it may be a while, but uh, uh, so that's where we are. We're going to just pick up where we were last time I was here. Let me give you a quick update as to uh, what's uh, going on in our ministry. <clears throat> I mentioned... Uh, Last, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm touching my iPad to change my slides, and I forgot I got to use this thing. Uh, so here we go. Uh, I mentioned last time a, a book I was uh, just wrapping up. Uh, it is now released. Uh, it's called Together, A Story of Survival. And uh, it's about a family, uh, four children who grew up in a home situation that only can be said redefines what the word abuse means. And it's how, um, particularly the oldest child, uh, which is, um, I always forget how to do the pointer there, uh, Linda Long, um, worked to rescue her three younger brothers and bring them through this. It's, uh, it's a very hard story to read, but it's one where God wins in the end. And that is now available. You can find that on Amazon. It's called Together a Story of survival. Uh, you'll have to search it on her name, not mine, because uh, she, she, uh, she self-published in the way Amazon works. Uh, it uh, did not include my name in the listings there. So, uh, But it's, it, it's a worthy read. Again, it's a challenging read, uh, it's, but it's, it is worth it. Uh, keep us in prayer. You know, writers have to go to terribly difficult places at times. Next, uh, next week, we're flying to Alaska. Uh, I know it's rough, but somebody has to do it. Um, we Actually, next Sunday morning, we will be on our way to Alaska uh, to uh, work with uh, Jeff Schultz and his wife, Joan. Jeff is the official photographer of the Iditarod, and uh, the book is not about that. It's about he and his wife, who have gone through over the last, what, probably 30 years or so. Um, God has taken them through terribly deep waters. Uh, they have a severely disabled 26-year-old daughter who requires 24-hour care. Jeff and his pilot crashed in the Alaskan bush, uh, and it was only by God's grace that they 
were even discovered. Uh, his wife is a five-year breast cancer survivor, and uh, their oldest son, Ben, uh, two years ago, fell down, he's a firefighter, fell down a 100-foot ladder, suffered a massive TBI, and uh, God brought him back amazingly. Uh, and uh, so this is going to take those four stories and uh, kind of weave them together. And it's the theme of the book is essentially going to be when, you know, when the bottom totally falls out. You know, we, we all go through trials. We all go through difficult circumstances. You know, you don't get through life without that. But here's a, a couple who their entire life has been characterized by this, by one right after another. And uh, how do you retain your joy? How do you retain your faith? How does your marriage stay intact in that kind of circumstance? So uh, so even though it's going to be an idyllic setting next week, uh, we will be, uh, it'll be mostly interviews uh, all week long and uh, beginning to dig into this story to get ready to write it. So, so pray that God would lead and that he would just give wisdom and guidance to us as we meet, as we talk, um, that this would be a book that would bring healing and encouragement. You know, Laurel and I lost our uh, first child when she was a week old. And one thing we learned when that happened uh, through uh, groups that we were uh, groups that we were involved with is that in of, of parents who have lost a child, uh, on average, seventy percent of the, those marriages fail. Uh, and it, that's not exclusive just to parents who have lost children. That's anybody who has gone through massive trial. It just so devastates your life that uh, you know it's hard to recover from that. So, uh, so I'm excited. I think it's it's going to be a great project. It's going to be an opportunity to write something that will again help and touch people. Again, this is a situation where they may end up having to self-publish the book, which is becoming much 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 more common in today's world. Uh, but pray that God might give them grace in the eyes of a publisher, because I would love to to see this be picked up by a publisher. But but they're going to publish it either way. Uh, so one way or the other, the book will come out. Uh, so, all right. Well, if you were to ask me what I do for a living, it's not karate instructor. I'm a storyteller. Uh, that's what I have done for years, uh, one way or another, whether it's through my performance chalk art, whether it's through music, whether it's through uh, writing books, uh, I tell stories and I communicate God's word and God's grace through stories. As a matter of fact, even though what I mostly write now are true stories, uh, I, I have written novels. As a matter of fact, I've got five out there. You can find all those on Amazon. Just look at my name. Uh, you know, you got to get a plug in now and then if you're an author. Uh, but... Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've written, uh, written three of my own, ghost wrote one, and uh, had, a, had a strong influence in ghostwriting the first part of another one. Uh, and uh, one of the things I love about writing uh, fiction is you have to create interesting characters. Uh, I didn't create any of those ones. Uh, but, you know, fiction and even nonfiction well-written involves characters, because stories are about something that happens to someone or someones. And one of the things that I just absolutely love about writing stories is that it requires me to get into the heads of the people I'm writing about, whether it's a true story or whether it's like in one of my novels, uh, 
I wrote one about a serial mercy killer. I had to become a serial killer. The bodies are hidden well. Uh, but you know, uh, but you had, to get, you had to get into the mind of the people you were writing about. And today, we're going to be focusing on a story in Luke that is, you know, again, the contrast. This is a true story. Uh, this isn't fiction, but you still have characters in the story. You still have people who are involved in what's happening in this story. And the central character is a, is a little lady who for 18 years of her life has been walking like that. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't, I can't even conceive of what it would be like. And particularly back then, when you, you, know, you couldn't go to a doctor. I mean, they had doctors, but they were not like modern medicine today. You couldn't find treatments. You couldn't, you know, you were stuck. And so today I'm going to invite you to join with me and go back in time to a synagogue. Might not have been much larger than this. And I'm going to ask you to imagine that you have grown up, because people didn't move around back then. You didn't go and take a different job somewhere and relocate. And you, you, you were born in an area you pretty much most of the time stayed there. So if you were in this synagogue, you would have known this lady. You would have seen her in the village. You would have, if you had grown up in the synagogue, you would have grown up around her. I'm assuming it's an older woman. It doesn't say that specifically, but I think you, know, you can kind of infer that from the text. And so I want you to go with me and put yourself in that place at that time when a routine Sabbath worship is turned upside down. Now, I have to give you a quick recap because we, this, this really ties into everything that has been covered over the last three times I've been here, which is about a year and a half. Uh, so uh, a very quick recap of just some of the highlights from the beginning of chapter 12 on. Remember, Jesus, his disciples, the 12 plus a larger group of disciples, plus a larger crowd, are all on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus has focused his attention on going to Jerusalem. That's the destination. The obvious reason he's going is to offer himself up for you and me. But as they go, Jesus is instructing his disciples and he's giving them principles to operate on. And they, they're not clear on the fact that he's not going to be with them, but he's preparing them. He gives them a principle, don't be afraid. And if you remember that chapter, early in that chapter, he talks about be on your guard against hypocrisy. You know, don't, don't be afraid of people who can kill your body. Don't be afraid to acknowledge me uh, and uh, trust the Holy Spirit for the words so that you can stand firm in your faith. And then he gives them another principle. He says, don't worry. You know, don't, don't worry about God's provision. God's going to take care of you. Uh, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your, what you're going to put on. Don't worry about any of that. Uh, as a matter of fact, he said, seek God's kingdom and practice radical generosity. He said, don't just, don't just be somebody who doesn't worry, but be a seeker of God's kingdom and realize that what you have is for you to give to others and take what you have and, and practice generosity. And then he says, 
Also, practice radical servanthood. Be dressed and ready for servant service. Keep your lamps burning. Be ready, expecting the master to come home. Be like a servant who is standing at the door. And you remember when we looked at that message, I compared it to Downton Abbey and, and how you know the servants were always ready, always ready to do whatever the master needed. And then he gives another principle. Always be conscious of your personal accountability to God. Now, a parallel thread that was running in this chapter was not just Jesus preparing the disciples, but it was also Jesus confronting the crowds and the Pharisees and the scribes and the others who were milling about and looking at Jesus with kind of a raised eyebrow and trying to figure out who is this guy and how can we get rid of them. And Jesus addresses the crowd and he says, you're expecting Messiah's reign to come in great power. That was the expectation at that time. You know, Messiah's going to come. He's going to set up the kingdom. He's going to kick the Romans out. We are going to be the top dog. And Jesus says, no, it's not going to work that way. As a matter of fact, he said, do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? He said, no, I've come to bring division. You know, families are going to be divided because of me. I'm not coming to bring peace. And, and then he rebukes the crowds, and he rebukes the religious leaders. He, he says, you know, you know how to look at the sky and feel the wind and determine what the weather is going to be like, but you guys don't even know how to interpret this present time in which you're living. The kingdom of God is all around you, and you're missing it. And then he gives them a very stern warning. You remember some come and say, hey, well, what about, what about those people that, that Pilate sacrificed? He mingled their blood with their sacrifices. And Jesus said, you think they're sinners above all else? He said, unless you repent, you're going to perish too. That, those weren't words that they expected a wannabe Messiah to say to them. He said, unless you repent, you're going to perish too. And then he closes out the last section that we were with with a warning. Time is running out. And he gives them the parable of the fig tree where you know the landowner looks at the fig tree and says, it's not producing. We've wasted too much time on it. And then the gardener says, give me a little bit more time. And, in, and if in another year it doesn't produce, then we'll cut it down. It's a warning to the people, a warning to the nation. You better get your act together. You better open your eyes. You better see, because if you don't, judgment is coming. And that brings us to Luke 13, 10 through 21, a revealing healing. Remember, we have the little lady in the synagogue, and I want you to go back with me now and put yourself in that synagogue. It's a place you have been all your life. This is a lady you have known all your life and her life. You have seen her, although back then, as sometimes now, disabled people tend to be invisible, even more so back then. And yet she came to synagogue, 
And who knows, perhaps she begged on the street when you passed her during the week. You knew this lady. We'll give her a name. Let's call her Sarah. That's a good biblical name. You knew her. You saw her. Maybe you spoke to her. Maybe you walked by and, you know, kind of like sometimes we do when we see somebody who is uncomfortably disabled and we don't know what to say. And and so rather than go up and talk to them, we just kind of, you know, avoid eye contact. So Sarah is in the synagogue. Maybe she comes in late this particular Sabbath. Or maybe she's been there the whole time, but she's back in a corner. She's already bent over. But you have a guest speaker. The guest speaker, of course, is Jesus. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. doesn't tell us which one. doesn't say what city, village they were in. They're on their way to Jerusalem on a Sabbath. Jesus does as he normally does. He stops in a synagogue, and he's teaching and there's a woman there, and you know, in the text it says, "Behold, there was a woman there." So you know, Luke wants you to know. I want you to notice this. This is important. When you see, "Behold, there was," this is kind of like, uh, "Take notice. Don't miss this." Jesus said, "Behold, there was a woman there who had been crippled by a spirit. Literally, a, she had a spirit of infirmity. Is how it reads for eighteen years." Now, he doesn't say she was demon-possessed. And Luke knows the difference, and he has identified demon possession before. He says she had a spirit of infirmity. What he wants you to understand is that this, this was not just a physical illness, that whatever the source of this illness was, Satan was behind it. And he wants you not to miss that. And Satan will be mentioned again in a bit. He says she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Sarah had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. You know, if you count backwards from 2019, that puts us at 2002. 18 years. Think about that. 2001. You notice he didn't say mathematician when he introduced me. However many years it was, 18. 2001? That's even better. You know, that's even farther back. She was bent over. Couldn't straighten up. Jesus sees her. And he calls her forward. Again, you're in the congregation. Jesus is is speaking, he's teaching, he's probably doing the same thing that Luke tells us that he did from the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke. He's going in the synagogues and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's sharing the good news that the kingdom of God is among you. And in the middle of his sermon, he stops and he looks back and he sees this lady. He, He may well have already seen her, but he chose this moment to stop. And he says... Sarah, maybe he knew her name, maybe he didn't, but he says, come up here. Now remember, the women and the men didn't sit together. She would have been off in a separate section with the women. 
But can you imagine if you are somebody who is severely disabled, you're bent over, you're somebody that people ignore, and then all of a sudden this visiting teacher comes in and he points at you and he says, come forward. One, now you're going to have to be in front of all those people. Two, you can barely walk. And so she has to get out her little canes and she has to hobble and I'm sure she can't move very fast. And so every single eye in the synagogue is on her as she makes her way up to the front. I went too fast, too far. Where where am I? Okay, I'm backward. I'm not technical. I'm hitting the wrong button. There it is. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and he said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. You know, he didn't do like he does sometimes. Do you want to be healed? He just said, woman, you're set free. And he put his hands on her and immediately she stood up. Arrow straight and praised God. Can you put yourself in the position now of being someone in that synagogue who has known her for 18 years, watched her hobble along, seen her begging on the street? What would be your reaction? What would you feel at that moment as you see this lady you have seen for 18 long years stand up and Jesus standing there? You're free. Well, that's what the rest of the story is all about because this lady is standing up, praising God. And then the other shoe drops. The synagogue ruler, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, says, notice, to the people. He doesn't say it to Jesus. He says to the people, there are six days in which we can work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Talk about somebody who likes to rain on parades. Wow. You know, it's like, wait a minute. This lady has been bent over, hobbled for 18 years, and now she's standing straight, and she's healed, and it's, Well, she could have come tomorrow. (laughs) Really? What's the problem? Well, you know, technically, she had been that way for 18 years. One more day isn't going to make that big a difference. It says, the Lord answers him. Don't miss the shift in the name. At the beginning, it said Jesus was preaching. Now it says, the Lord answered him. The Lord of the Sabbath. (laughs) And you notice also, the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, plural. Because even though the synagogue ruler was the only one to speak, 
one, Jesus knew hearts, and I have a feeling he didn't, you know, you didn't even have to be somebody who knew the hearts of men. You could have probably read the faces. Because some in that synagogue would have been, wow, this is awesome. And there would have been others who would have been, he did it again. Jesus says, you hypocrites. Don't you on the Sabbath, each of you, you notice he individualizes it again, every single one of you, you untie your ox or your donkey, you take it out of the stall, you lead it out to give it water. That's basic kindness. It's dealing with a necessity. Then, what about this woman? She is a daughter of Abraham. She's not an ox. She's not a donkey. She has great value as a daughter of Abraham. She is one of your sisters. And she has been kept bound by Satan for 18 long years. Shouldn't she be set free? on the Sabbath day from what bound her? What else is the Sabbath for? But for the setting free and the giving of peace and rest. When he said this, all of his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So you had the division, you had the, the official religious crowd, but then you had the people, the regular people who came in, and they were delighted. And they said, this is awesome. That's in the Hebrew. Oh, no, it was not. But then it doesn't stop. Because Jesus continues talking. If, if, if you look at the text... There's a little connector that we translate then. And what Jesus is about to say is not a separate little section. It is tied in directly with what is happening in the synagogue. Jesus has said all of this. The woman has stood up. The enemies have been humiliated. The crowd, the rest of the people are rejoicing. And then Jesus says, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden, and it grew and it became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Something very small but and, and, and in, insignificant, but it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. And the symbolism of the birds and the branches, depending on the text that you look at, often refers to the Gentiles being able to come in and take shelter. And then he says, and again, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Well, it's like yeast. That a woman put and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. Don't miss that. When we Sometimes we read it, it says like three measures of flour, and we think these little tiny measures. Now, this is 60 pounds of flour. This is a lot of flour. little bit of leaven thrown in there. He said it mixes, and it works all through the dough. Something small, and then it grows. What's the principle? 
Okay, let's recap real quickly. Jesus is traveling. Go back to Luke chapter 4. You don't have to look there. But Jesus, as he goes to these synagogues, he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom in these synagogues, in these towns. This is why I was sent. Luke 8, it says Jesus traveled from one town to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. This is what he was doing in those synagogues. He was talking about the kingdom. And he was trying to get people to see it's not going to come like you thought it was going to come. It's going to be very different. He's confronting the expectation versus the reality. They expected Messiah's dramatic reign coming. He says there's going to be division. He says you're not seeing the kingdom. The kingdom is right in front of you. Look at this lady who's standing up. The kingdom has just broken into your context. The kingdom of God is here. Unless you repent, you're going to perish. And time is running out. The kingdom of God starts small and grows. It starts small and it grows. It starts small and it grows. Because Jesus was the kingdom in their presence that I'm here, the king is here. If the king is here, the kingdom is here. What does it mean for you and me? Jesus said to his disciples in John, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. That commission is repeated time and time and time again in the Gospels. But sometimes we narrow it. We narrow it to the point where to us, Jesus' commission to us is merely to make sure we have a pocket full of four spiritual laws so that we can say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, If you pray this prayer, uh, then accept Jesus into your heart, you can go to heaven. There's much more to it than that. Daryl Bach put it this way. The kingdom is present in a more hidden form today. It does not manifest the fullness of power that it will possess one day, nor is it a call, nor is its call to any one nation, party, or human institution. Rather, the kingdom is found wherever God's people are found. Its power is revealed in the effective transformation of lives that serve as a testimony to the living God. To manifest the kingdom's presence is not to build buildings or pass laws, but to honor God with a quality of life that's directed powerfully in the transforming work of his spirit. If God's people have any priority... It should be the commitment to live, relate, and serve in a way that honors him. Jesus returned to the Father. One day the kingdom will be fully manifest, but right now the kingdom is present in you and me through the Holy Spirit who lives within us and through whom 
we reach out. We live in a time that is becoming unprecedented almost in its fraction, its fractiousness. There is such anger out there. You've probably noticed. There is such divisiveness. And we are one day away, not one day away, a couple days away, see there's the math again. We're a couple days away from election day 2020. Unless I miss my guess, this next year is gonna rival the 1960s for the divisiveness and the anger and the fighting and the strife. I hope I'm wrong, I sincerely hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. As Christians, we can either be part of the problem, and I see many who are, or we can represent the kingdom of God where we are. We can see this world as it really is, broken and bent over. And we can say, you know what? Yes, I am an American. But first and foremost, I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And I will represent the king in a way that he wants to be represented. I'm going to suggest a prayer. You have probably heard this prayer before. It's well-known, might be worth memorizing this year. I think I'm going to. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I might not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. And it is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. It's the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. We have the opportunity this year and every year, as long as we await the return of Christ, we have the opportunity. Indeed, we have the responsibility to be people through whom the kingdom of God breaks through into this world. That's what God has called us to. Paul tells us, and I think it's something that also would be a great daily prayer that I will probably try to make. Paul says, walk worthy of the calling that you've received. Lord, help me. 
to walk worthy of that calling. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. We love you and we thank you that you loved us and, and there's so much that we don't understand. But we ask that you would indeed make us instruments of your peace. As people see us, may we encounter them with your grace, with your mercy, with your love, with your kindness. May we reach out to those we disagree with instead of fighting with them. May we build bridges to others. And through us, may they see the kingdom of God. And more importantly, may they see the king. And we'll give you the praise for all that you do in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.